0: Welcome to the Preaching Ministry Podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina, where our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. What a great crowd on a late June uh, Sunday. Thank you so much for being here. If you're awake in here this morning, would you say Amen. If you're glad to be here this morning, would you say amen? Amen. If you're excited about what I'm about to preach, I'm I'm baiting you. I'll save that one for you. Thank you for being here. Man, what a great crowd. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedules. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to find Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. We have been walking verse by verse through uh, the book of Nehemiah. And I hope that it has been a blessing to you. And this morning we'll pick up in chapter five. We've entitled this series Against All Odds. Here's Nehemiah with a ragtag group of Jewish folks that have made their way back from Babylonian captivity to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You talk about something that was against all odds. Uh, This was a project that seemed certainly to be against all odds. You'll remember that the Babylonians sieged Jerusalem, reduced the temple to to pebbles, and then took down the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. God had warned his people for 325 years. He told them, if you do not turn from idolatry, judgment is going to come. Three hundred and twenty five years, either turn or judgment is coming. Often wonder in America, how long is God going to have to attempt to get our attention before he does? We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about God and country day and celebrating our freedom. But but three hundred and twenty five years and God finally had had enough. And judgment came in the form of the Babylonians coming in to Jerusalem, and then after destroying the wall and the temple, taking the, ba- taking the Jewish people into Babylonian captivity for some 70 years, they found themselves in a land that knew nothing but idolatry. And during those 70 years, that idolatry got driven from the hearts of many of God's people. But there was a new king that rose to power when the Medo-Persians overtook the Babylonians. There was a guy by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus allowed the people to go back and to rebuild the temple. And of the millions of people, that, or the millions of Jews that were in Babylonian captivity, only about 50,000 of them came back to Jerusalem to begin the work on the temple. They finished the temple And after finishing the temple, they've now been in this land for some 91 years. And the walls still lay in rubble. But there's a young man by the name of Nehemiah who's working for this Persian king. He's never been to his land of the fathers. He's never been to Jerusalem, but he has a burden for his brethren. And God calls Nehemiah to a great work. And he calls Nehemiah to go and to rebuild the walls. And when God put that call on Nehemiah's life, the first thing he did was he began to pray. And he began to fast. And the king noticed that something was up with Nehemiah. And the king said, what's going on, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah said, well, I got a great burden to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And the king not only gave him permission, but the king gave him provision so that he could go back. You'll remember Nehemiah went in by night and he scoped out what was going on and he saw what needed to be done. And they began the work and there was great excitement in the land because of the progress that was happening on the wall. But we noticed this as this project was happening, the enemy launched an attack against Nehemiah and God's people. Because anytime you do something that is a work of God, there is an enemy that wants to destroy it. And first of all, we noticed an enemy from without. You remember Sanballat and Tobiah, these people that surrounded Jerusalem. They did not want to see Jerusalem build this wall and become a fortified city again because it would take away from their power in the region. And so they began to mock the people of God. They began to make fun of the people of God. And then they conspired a plan to absolutely destroy them. Well, the people of God discovered that plan And we saw that last week. That's when Nehemiah stood in front of the people and said, look, these people are coming to destroy you. They're coming to destroy your families. They're coming to destroy your houses. You better stand up because there are some things worth fighting for. And so many of them built this wall with a sword in one hand and a trial in the other. Their family would look and the people would build and they were looking out for the enemy. And they overcome this wonder or this, threat by their enemies. But today as we arrive at Nehemiah chapter 5, they've just overcame the threat from the outside. But how many of you know that the enemy doesn't fight fair? And when he did not win the battle from the outside, he began to attack the people of God from the inside. And as we walk through Nehemiah chapter 5, this morning, I want us to consider this conquering internal strife. Conquering eter- internal strife. Let's stand together and read Nehemiah chapter 5. We'll read the first 13 verses. If you're there, would you say amen? And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were it said, we, our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn and for them and that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards, our houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also those that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as of the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you exact usury every one of his brother? And I set a great assembly against them. And I said unto them, we after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews which were sold unto the heathen. And will you even sell your brethren or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. Also I said, it is not good that ye do Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I likewise, and my brethren and my servants might exact of them the money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their oliveyards, their houses, also the hundredth part of the money, and of the corn and the wine and the oil that you exact of them. Then said they, we will restore them And we will require nothing of them. So we will do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. And I shook my lap and said, so God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus he shall be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did according To this promise. Heavenly Father, as we walk through this scripture today, I pray, God, we would deal with whatever it is that you put your finger on in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to commit to you now that whatever you put on our hearts today, we will deal with it. And Lord, may repentance and restoration come as a result of the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen, you may be seated. The psalmist said it this way, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. When strife, disunity, and division show up amongst the people of God, it can become a terrible testimony to those around us. When disunity happens inside of a church, it becomes a terrible testimony for the onlooking community, and it thwarts the work of God. Nehemiah and the people have moved forward on a very important project of rebuilding this wall. They have rallied together against an outside enemy. Only to discover that now they're going to have some problems on the inside. And the truth is, as we move forward with the project that God has given us to move forward with, and this project that we're moving forward with is not just about building a building, but it is about building a building that will Accommodate the children that need to hear the truths of the word of God. They can make a difference in the lives of these children in this community. It is a worthwhile project, but you and I must understand as a part of this fellowship, that we have an enemy that wants to destroy everything good that happens. And if he cannot destroy it from the outside, he will attempt to destroy it from the inside. Now, I'm thankful to pastor a church that has sweet unity. If we don't have unity, don't tell me. I don't know anything about that. I'm grateful in the place that we are in. God has given us a sweet, sweet time together. And we need to understand that as we preach through this, we're we're not trying to thwart an inward attack, we're trying to keep one from happening. Amen? We're not trying to put one down that has already been launched. We're just trying to keep it from happening. Amen? So as we walk through this, I think there's some truths that we can learn about how we can deal when the enemy tries to have us be a part of the problem from within. Listen, churches fight over the craziest things. Some of you have been a part of some crazy stuff and I've watched it as a kid. Growing up, I've seen churches just do some crazy things, amen. True story. True story. In the late 1800s, there was a church in Mayfield, Kentucky, had two deacons, and the two deacons couldn't get along with each other. They couldn't stand each other. They were always trying to one up the other one. Well, one early one Sunday morning, one of the deacons came in, and he put a little wooden peg on the back wall so that when the pastor came in, he would have somewhere to hang his hat. Well, the other deacon was furious that nobody consulted him before they put a peg on the back wall. Some of y'all been in Baptist churches for a little while, right? Nobody consulted him about this peg. And what happened is the church ended up having to choose sides of which one of these deacons they were going to back. And the church split. And about a year later, this, those that left planted a new church. And here's what they called True story. Here's what they called it. Anti-Peg Baptist Church. <laughs> true story. God's people can divide over the craziest of stuff. But we must keep our eye on the main thing. And we must ensure that the Lord is preeminent in everything that we do. Somebody said it this way. In a church fight, the devil does not take sides, but he provides ammunition to both sides. The devil doesn't take sides when the brethren fight one another. He just provides ammunition. Jeremy and I were talking about that earlier this morning, that you can be right and be wrong. Even if you're right, you can have such a sour attitude, you can be wrong. And as we walk through this passage this morning, I want us to conquer anything that would cause us to have internal strife inside of this fellowship. Notice with me, first of all, the calls of discord, the calls of discord. When the enemy could not win from a attack on the outside, he began to attack from the inside. And discord amongst God's people here in Nehemiah 5 has led to a crisis. Notice in verse one, it says there was a great cry of the people and their wives. The problem they're dealing with, there was a great cry. This problem is a significant problem. That word cry in the Hebrew almost means to shriek. And it also involves a cry for help. So here's some brothers and sisters, part of the family that are crying out for help. And they're crying out for help because there's discord inside the family. Notice with me, first of all, the season of the discord. When did this take place? When when, when did all of this discord that's gonna come from within, when did it take place? It came right after a great victory. Remember, they had just overcome an attack from the outside. Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and all of them had surrounded them, and and they, they thwarted the plan of the enemy to come in and destroy them. And not only had they just experienced a great victory, they were in the middle of doing a great work. Listen, we are often most vulnerable right after a great victory. How many Clemson fans are having here? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. We used to have a coach that we would go to Florida State. They might be ranked third in the nation. And we'd go to Florida State and beat them and come home and lose to Duke. If y'all y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And we would go, what is happening? Well, we were vulnerable after a big win, how many, of, I mean, any of you that are in athletics, you, you know what that's about, where, where you have a big win and then you lose to somebody you shouldn't lose to, but you are very vulnerable right after a big win. So the people of God have just come off of a big win. They, they, they are in the midst of doing some great things, man, the wall's halfway building and, and we're getting ready to see something wonderful take place, Zip! the enemy comes From within, we must keep our guard up and our knees bent as we enter into an exciting time in the life of our own fellowship. In a season of excitement, you can often be used to become a source of discord. So there's the season of discord, then there is the source of discord. Look look again at verse 1. There's a great cry of the people of their wives against who? Who are they crying against? Who are they calling out for help against? Who? Their what? Their brethren. It's their own people. And here's what you're going to discover in just a few minutes. It's the very wealthy Jews and the rich Jews that were causing part of the problem. And the problems within the camp are often more difficult than problems outside the camp. And everybody rallies together against an attack from the outside, but when an attack comes from the inside, it is more hurtful. And cruelty inside the family often brings greater pain than cruelty outside the family. And the source of discord was coming from these folks that had a lot of money. And let me tell you something. In my ministry, I've discovered that internal problems don't often come from people that have a lot of money. They come from people who think they have a lot of money. Because they want to use that to somehow leverage their own way. I have found the wealthiest people I know are the most generous people I know. And those that are just barely hanging on trying to fool you into thinking they got something. I didn't mean to preach on that, but we'll just get there. Some Some of you have bought stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like. is in a great work. A problem comes from within. Notice not only the season and the source, but the specifics of this discord. Verse two. For there were that said, we are sons and daughters are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also that were there said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and our houses and we might buy corn because of the dearth. They also said that we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Here's what was happening. Here's what was happening. There was a famine in the land. And because of the famine, the people that had the food raised the prices of the food. Kind of like when a hurricane comes in. They raised the price of plywood. I think they've got some laws against that now, but but they raised the price of everything. And so here's some folks that couldn't afford to buy food, all right? And so here's what they did. They went to their what, according to verse one? Their brethren and said, Brother Dale, I need to borrow some money. My family is starving. Bible says because of the dearth. I mean, we don't know anything about starving, man. There's a Chick-fil-A on every corner, right? But they were starving. And they went to their brother and said, brother, I need to borrow some money in order to feed my family. Not only that, but King Artaxerxes had imposed a tax on the people. Well, if they couldn't afford their food, you think they were gonna afford their taxes? So they said, Dale, Not only do I need a little bit of money to feed my family, I need some money to pay my taxes that King Artaxerxes has put in place. And Dale said, I'm gonna give you the money, but you gotta put up your house and your land and your children and I'm gonna charge you 12% interest. Now you might say 12% interest ain't that bad from a loan shark except that God told them in Deuteronomy that if they let their brother borrow money, they were not to charge them any interest. So they're violating the word of God by charging any interest. So Dale, I have mortgaged my house, I have mortgaged my land, my vineyards, whatever I had, in order to feed my family and pay my taxes, and Dale decides to foreclose on me No, and I don't have anything. He forecloses and now he owns my house. He owns my land. He owns my children. Thank you, brother. I mean, that's a real friend right there, right? I mean, that's a real friend. It would be as if Dale, I'm going to use you again. It'll be as if your house burned down. And I came by. Oh, Dale. So sorry. So sorry. I know it wasn't in the kitchen. I know that's not where it started because y'all go to QT and eat. I know that. If you was at the couples retreat, you know where I'm at. But we're sorry. And I've brought you some food and I've brought you some towels, and some washcloths, and some clothes. We want to just take care of you. But I'm going to need the deed to your house. Because if you can't pay me back for all this, I'll just take your land. I don't need your house, but I'll take your land. Well, that's being a good friend, right? Let me ask you a question. If that began to happen across the congregation, don't you think there'd be a little bit of unrest inside the congregation and we would go how are these pe- these people can't pay for their stuff and yet these guys that do have something just take it from them and God's given very specific instructions in Deuteronomy that that was not supposed to happen so now there's discord inside the brethren we see the cause of the discord. You can easily see now how unity has disappeared and they've become distracted from the work and the enemy is loving every bit of it. So there's the cause of the discord, but then there's the confrontation of this dissension. Nehemiah is a great leader. If you're a business owner and you lead people, I'd encourage you, study the book of Nehemiah. This man is a great leader. Verse six, notice what he does here in verse six. I love this. He says, when I heard about this, I was very angry. And what did he do when he got angry? Look at verse seven. Then I consulted with who? Myself. I was ticked off. And then I consulted with myself. You know, that's a good person to consult with when you're mad. I said, that's a good person to consult with when you're mad. Because when you're mad, if you don't consult with yourself for a few minutes, you getting ready to go say something, do something that you're going to regret and have to go back and apologize for All the sinners are sitting over in here today. I can hear them. Amen, preacher. Amen. (laughs) And Nehemiah knows that because of this practice that is going on, the entirety of the project is in trouble. So he's got to deal with it. And as a leader, there are times you kind of let things slide and see if they'll correct themselves. But then there's also times as a leader you gotta step up and take it head on. And Nehemiah's getting ready to step up, and he is getting ready to confront this problem head on. Look at verse 7. He says, I rebuked the nobles. Now these are the folks that can make a difference and can make it hard on Nehemiah. But Nehemiah says, I had to confront them. I had to deal with this problem head on. Weirdsby says that Nehemiah wasn't a politician that asked what is popular and what is safe, but he said, what is right? And Nehemiah, man, can you, can you see this? Let's get over here where all my sinners are. All right. Here here, here y'all are and I'm getting ready to confront you and I'm getting ready to deal with this issue friend of mine said it's kind of like that old Kenny Rogers song, Coward of the County. Y'all remember that song? I told you, these sinners know that song, man. Ain't no Coward of the County, right? Old Tommy, right? He's supposed to be a coward. Tommy's supposed to be a, a old yeller, right? He's supposed to be a coward. Well, he's got a love interest by the name of Becky, right? And old Becky is down at the juke joint with the Gatlin boys, And the Gatlin boys are abusing Becky. And Tommy rolls in there and sees what's going on. And after he sees the Gatlin boys taking advantage of Becky, he turns around to walk towards the door. And they said, hey, look, old Yeller's what? Leaving. And then the song says, but you could have heard a pin drop when Tommy stopped to lock the door. Now he's getting ready to deal with business. That's exactly what Nehemiah is getting ready to do. Nehemiah is getting ready to get down to business with these people that think they're better than he is, these people that think they can use their influence to overcome him. Nehemiah looks at him and he says, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to restore everything you have taken from these people and you're going to do it. And look, look, watch this. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. Restore, I pray you, to them even when... Right now, when you want us to do it, Nehemiah, right now, this today, we're not playing around with this sin anymore. We're not going to allow you to continue to take advantage of people anymore. We're not going to allow you to transgress the word of God anymore. It's time for you to get right, and it's time for you to get right, right now. Mm. Here's what I'd say to you from this. It's easy to get caught up in some sin of omission or sin of commission. Quiet time ain't really what it used to be. When's the time to get that right? Right now. Prayer time ain't what it used to be. When's the time to get that right? Right now. Boy, I made a series of decisions and I've gotten myself in a mess I never imagined I would find myself in. When's the time to get that right? Right now. Because the Lord is not over in heaven with some big billy club waiting to beat you over the head with it. He loves you, He wants to restore you. But the time to deal with it is now. And Nehemiah says you need to deal with it this day. There's the cause of the discord. Secondly, there's the confrontation of this dissension. And then finally, there's the cure for the disunity. Well, they've been confronted now. How are they going to respond? Keep your Bibles open. How are they going to respond? They've now been confronted. Are they going to bow up or are they going to bow down? And they're not bowing down to Nehemiah. They're bowing down to the one true God. Notice with me two quick things. The people's response. Look at verse 12. Then said they, we will restore them and we will require nothing of them. They didn't try to negotiate with Nehemiah. They didn't try to argue with Nehemiah. They just simply acknowledged their wrong and said, we're gonna get right. Boy, reminds me of Jesus coming through Jericho in Luke chapter 19. There's a guy there that has a terrible reputation by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree to see Jesus. Jesus walks by. He comes down out of the tree. Jesus goes to his house. Jesus shares truth with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus gets saved. And when he got saved, according to Luke chapter 19 and verse 8, the Bible says this. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. I had this conversation with somebody right after the last service. Repentance not only involves stopping something, it involves starting something. Repentance, he said, I'm not gonna do that anymore, but I am gonna make right that that I have wronged. Listen to this, listen to this. He says, and Jesus said unto him, this day, what day? This day is salvation come to his house. For as much as he is also a son of Abraham. True repentance involves righting the wrongs and that's exactly what they did. There's the people's response but then there's a prophetic revelation. Look at verse 13. Nehemiah says, I shook my lap and said, so God shake out every man from his house and from his labor and performeth not this promise. That performeth not this promise. Even thus be shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Nehemiah used an illustration. And he wanted to illustrate what God was going to do to them if they did not come through on what they promised. That God would shake and take away everything that they held near. They would be shaken from their homes. They would be shaken from their property. They knew they would pay a significant price if they did not do what they had promised they would do. And when they did, here was their response. Amen. Praise the Lord. You see, when you repent and make things right, that's not a troublesome thing. That's a beautiful thing. Some, some of you have been here for some weeks, maybe even today. Man, you watch people all around you worship. You watch them raise holy hands. You see them enjoying their salvation, praising the Lord. And you see them in, and for the lack of a better term, you, you, you think, man, I'd like to get in on that. They seem to be enjoying it and I just got a coldness about me. And I don't seem to be able to get in on what they are enjoying. You see, when God puts his finger on that that is wrong inside of our lives, we got to deal with it. And when we deal with it, we'll come come away saying, Amen. And praise the Lord. As I said, the Lord's not waiting to just whoop you because of something you've done wrong. He wants things to be right between you and him that you might say, Amen. Let it be, Lord. And here's what they did. They just agreed with Nehemiah about where they were. So when God puts his finger on what it is in your life that needs to be dealt with, just agree with God about your current condition because he's not wrong. Just agree with him about your current condition. Deal with it. Confess it. Repent of it. And then walk away saying, amen, praise the Lord. So here's the invitation today. Number one, if you're here today and you're not saved, you're going to live forever somewhere. And it's either heaven or hell and there is no in between. But you're going to live forever somewhere. And you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. And God's dealing with you about that. In just a moment, when we stand to our feet, I'm gonna ask you to bring yourself forward. Put your hand in mine and just say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I would love to show you how you can know Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior of your life. So that's number one. Number two, you hear you're a child of God. and Man, God's put his finger right on something in your life that needs to be dealt with. And I know this ain't a popular invitation. Because when we respond to this invitation, we think, uh, everybody else gonna be wondering what the sin problem is in my life. Well, the fact that they're thinking that tells you they got a sin problem in their own life, amen? So whatever it is that God's put his finger on, I'm gonna ask you to come to an altar and confess it. Repent, repent just means to have a change of mind and a change of direction. So, number one, if you're unsaved, I want you to come, put your hand in mine, and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Number two, if God's put his finger on anything in your heart, I want you to come this morning and deal with that. And then number three, I want us as a church body to consider lifting up a prayer that the Lord would not allow us to get distracted, that he would defeat all enemies that would be from without and from within, that we might be a beacon on a hill that others in this community could see that there is a God and he does save and he is the answer to everything they are asking. As you stand to your feet, we're gonna have a song of invitation. Just as I am without one plea, but his blood was shed for me. If you need to get your baptism on the right side of your conversion, desire to join this church, Whatsoever He says unto you, do it. You be the first to move. You come as we sing. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Preaching Ministry Podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.